Hey there, welcome into the Render Podcast. I am your host, Cam, and I'm so excited to get into this episode specifically. This is not one subject. We are going to be talking about some advice topics that we received in our DMs. If you're not yet following us on Instagram, go to Instagram and go to at therender.co and follow us there. We share all of our podcasts there every week, but we also sometimes ask if you guys need some advice on some things. And so we put together these podcast episodes specifically for that. So I'm excited to get into it today. We asked a couple weeks ago what you guys want to hear advice-wise. And so here we're going to get into it. I've got about five or six questions that we're going to go through, and y'all, these are good. So pull up a seat, grab some coffee or a good drink, and let's dive in. Hey there, you're listening to The Render Podcast, a podcast for creatives. I'm Cam, a visionary leader who has failed and thrived through small business leadership. After being in the events industry since 2010, In working with brands such as Nike, the Dallas Cowboys, and the Create and Cultivate, I became wildly passionate about education for small businesses. I teach others how to work with their dream clients, the mistakes I've made along the way. I hope you leave here refreshed, engaged, and ready to take on your company, making the next right decision. that we are being asked about real quickly is going to be pricing, hiring employees, how to sell my rental business, how do we keep rentals in top shape, um, what are some different things that we've done to kind of jumpstart our growth or get ahead even faster, and then um, how do you ask people about budget? It's a scary question, but how do we ask people about budget? And so we're going to get into those questions today, so I hope you're excited and ready the first one we're going to go through is pricing, how to price inventory, when to up your pricing, um, rental fees, things like that. So pricing is such a game, y'all. Um, it has taken years <laughs> to figure out how to price our items and how to keep them um, relevant to the industry. And I do want to preface this conversation about pricing But there's a couple factors that you kind of need to uh, consider and think about before you even start the conversation of a number of what to price something at. The first thing that you need to consider is the area that you are located in. So what do I mean by that? I mean, if you are in a big city versus a small city, if you're in um, a certain country, if you are um, located kind of in a suburb, or if you're inside of a city, those things are going to make a difference in your pricing. What a good example of that might be is um, if you are a rental company in New York City or Brooklyn or somewhere around the Manhattan proper area, you can price your sofas, for example, for a lot more than someone in Lubbock, Texas can. Now, Lubbock is a small town um, where Texas Tech is, or you could, you know, if you're here in Texas and you're a big fan of football, you might go to A&M or UT. It doesn't really matter. But we're talking about a small town in Texas versus Manhattan, New York City area. There's going to be a big difference between those two. Um, In New York City, a sofa you could see an average price renting a sofa from anywhere from $600 to $800. 
just for one sofa for one day. Yep. 600 to $800 for a sofa. Now, if you were to go to Lubbock, Texas or college station or, um, something, uh, that's a smaller town, it's not quite New York city. Um, it's not quite Dallas. It's not quite LA, but it's a smaller city. You're probably only going to be able to get away with two, 300, maybe tops for that same exact sofa, literally the same one. Your cost is the exact same. However, your charging could be different. So you may think that being in a big city is way worth it and you should move to a big city, but also keep in mind that the expenses are so much more. So be careful when you're thinking those things. So that's what you need to consider before you start pricing. The other things that you do need to consider is what you are buying the piece for. So what I mean by that is if you spend $5,000 on a product and you want to price it for $200, the price to make that back up and start making profit on that is going to be quite some time unless you can push that product out on a daily basis. So what I'm asking you to consider is what we like to call a three to five rule. Now, if you have purchased Rental Biz Academy and you're a part of our student base of over 400 students worldwide, then you already know this concept. But if you aren't and you want to be a part of that, we'd love to invite you into the Rental Biz Academy family. But I'm gonna teach you one of the five processes that I use to price my inventory right now. Um, it's called the three to five rule. What that means is that I want you to buy a product and be able to rent it three, four, or five times before you see a profit on it. If you can get that number as low as possible, maybe even down to one or zero, then that's even better. More profit sooner. However, most people have to buy a product and then wait a couple rents before they're ready to make a profit on it. So when you buy a product, you need to make a rule that says anywhere from three to five times of renting that item out, then I'm gonna see a profit. The only exception I have to this rule, the only exception is that I might go up to seven on it. And the only reason I would do that is if there is a product that is specifically um, something that I can rent out way, way, way often, and I know it's gonna be a very high popularity item, that I might consider going up to seven because I know it's gonna go out and I'm gonna make product um, profitability on it as soon as possible. So that's the only time I'd go up to that. But if you can get it as low as possible, I'd highly recommend it. The other thing that you need to consider when you're pricing is your competitors. And I am not telling you that this is an excuse to go secret shop them because you can't. Don't go do that. Don't do that at all. But what you do need to consider is if your area, meaning in a small town or a big town, if your area is charging two or $300 for their sofas and you come out the gate and you say, I'm gonna price this at $600. Girl, you're not gonna rent that at all, at all, because it's not gonna be on par with everybody else. And not saying that you have to price your things just like everybody else, but understanding the ballpark of where everybody else is is really important or else you're not gonna get any rents. So be careful about that. Do not secret shop them. You can ask them their pricing or maybe their pricing's online but you do need to understand what is everyone else pricing at just so you have a ballpark of what is normal and what is not in your area if you don't already know. Now, the other question to pricing is when do we know when to increase our pricing? This is a tricky one because 
Um, there's never like a concrete right time. Like I can't tell you, you have to do it in January every single year. It doesn't really matter when you do it, but you should be increasing your pricing. There is inflation that happens. Pricing of product goes up. The cost of business goes up. And so the cost of your rentals should go up as well. What I like to consider is increasing our pricing anywhere from once a year to once every other year. So consider doing that. Schedule it into your calendar. Um, I highly recommend scheduling it to at least open up the question once a year. And I recommend doing that in your slow season. So if October is a really, really busy month for you, like it is for us, then I would not do it in October. Maybe you do it in January or maybe you do it in July when it's slower. Right now, given that we are putting this out in July of 2021, I'm going to probably assume that everyone is super busy right now. Right now might not be the time to increase your pricing unless it's been a long time since you have. Then you might want to do it real quick right now. But do it in a season that is a little less crazy for you because otherwise you're going to drive yourself nuts. So it is good to increase your pricing once a year, once every other year. Decide what's best for your business, but do consider the conversation of increasing your pricing for sure. And you can increase it by small amounts or big amounts. Totally depends on what you want to do. Um, I'm not going to talk about pricing with fees today, but if you go to episode 41, we talk all about rental fees and how you should be charging those and what you should charge them at. I think we go through like 19 or 20 of them. So go check that episode out, episode 41. We're going to link it in the show notes for you so you can go see it easily. Okay, the second question that we have today is on hiring employees. Now, we also did an episode, episode 55, all about hiring quality team members in our interview process, and that goes really in-depth on hiring, and so I'm going to tell you to go check that one out, but when it comes to hiring employees, um, this person said, I'm clearly doing something wrong. No, you're not. You're not doing something wrong. You're figuring it out. You might make some mistakes in hiring. Um, Sure, I have made plenty of mistakes in hiring, but you just learn and you become better the next time. Um, We have um, really kind of two approaches to hiring. So the first approach is for our office team. It's the people who are client-facing most of the time, especially pre-booking, or maybe they're uh, community-facing, meaning they're doing our media or social media or marketing efforts. And so um, that is one way that we do our hiring. And then the second way that we do our hiring is our uh, warehouse staff. Anyone who is going out on events, they're going as a driver or an assistant um, on our events for deliveries or pickups or working in the warehouse, things like that. And so those are the two types of people that we hire on our team currently today. And so the first one with our office staff, we are going to consider where they are um, spending their time so that we can market to them and let them know that we have an open position. Typically for us, that's been on Instagram, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn sometimes. And so consider who you're wanting to hire or what position you're wanting to hire for and where they're spending their time so that you know how to market to them so they actually know that you are hiring with our office staff or our warehouse staff and our event team staff those are typically not going to be on instagram (laughs) they're going to be on indeed monster jobs zip recruiter Um, they might even be people who are referral based on other people that work on your team Um, so that's our two different approaches to where to find them 
how we figure out what position we need to hire for is a little thing that Kaylee taught our team all about the note card trick. What does that mean? The note card activity or exercise that we do internally, we do once or twice a year, especially when we're close to a hiring season. What it means is that you're gonna write down every single thing that you do in your position down on a note card. It does not have to be a note card. It could be a post-it note. It could be little pieces of paper. Um, I do want you to physically write it though, not just online. And so you're gonna do this note card trick. Write every single thing that you do down on a piece of paper. And then you're gonna separate it into three different piles. The first pile is anything that you absolutely love doing. It's your favorite parts of your job. It's the things that keep you excited and um, interested in your job. Uh, one of the things that's on my list of things that I do for the company that really excite me is doing this podcast, is recording these episodes and talking directly to you. I don't know where you're listening to this. You might be listening to this at the gym in your headphones. You might be listening to this in your car on the way to work. You might be listening to this, you know, after the kids go to bed or before the kids wake up for the day. I don't know where you listen to this podcast, but um, this is one of the favorite things that I do in my job is doing the podcast. So those are the things that you're going to put in your love pile. The next pile that you're going to make is the pile of all the things that you don't love doing, but you also don't hate doing them either but they're a part of your job. You have to do it because it's a part of your position. One of the things that is on my list in that area is payroll. I don't love doing payroll. I don't mind doing payroll, but I don't love it. It doesn't set me on fire for my job, but I have to do it because it's part of my job. And then the third group that you're gonna put your tasks into are the things that you really just genuinely do not like doing, and someone could do it. It doesn't have to be a part of your job. You're just, you just happen to be doing that part of the job. And so you're going to put it in that pile. Um, something for me that used to be in my pile before we hired Brooke is editing this podcast. Thanks, Brooke, for editing it today. But um, I d really didn't like doing it. And someone else could do it. I don't love listening to my voice over and over and editing my voice out when I say um or when I say things that I just need a second to think about. And so Brooke now does that. But that used to be in my pile of things that I did, but I didn't really love to do, and someone else could do it. So what are you going to do when you have all these piles? And you're going to put them in like groups based on the tasks that you are doing. So things like editing the podcast or writing the blog for the podcast episode or um, creating the social graphic or things like that weren't things that I absolutely loved to do, but they could all be combined into the same position for the next person that we hired. And so you're gonna do that with anyone on your team that's also doing similar tasks to you. So when we hired Brooke, um, Kaylee and I both did this activity and came up with, hey, you're doing stuff for the podcast, I'm doing stuff for the podcast, here's where those overlap and how can we create a position for this to relieve some pressure in the positions that we have and also do a really good job of that as well. So that's what we do for um, hiring. When we go to hire, um, we look at the position, the tasks associated with it, and then put it into a really good job description that's a little bit more corporate looking, um, and we put that on our website, but we also make these cute little graphics that we put on our social media that we're hiring as well with some high-level 
details to the job as well to attract the right people. So that's how we go about hiring. Again, go to episode 55. Um, we will link it in the show notes for you to go check out. And you can look, take a look at how we hire those quality team members and then our interview process. We'll also do an episode coming up soon that is on our training process and how we keep people um, intrigued in the, in, in the position, but also set them up for success in their position as well. So we'll talk about that here soon. Keep an eye out for that episode. All right, the next thing that we're gonna talk about is how do you sell your rental company? This person is saying, I'd like to sell my rental business by 2025. How do I go about figuring out a fair asking price? Excellent question, excellent question. And I am gonna talk to you about this from two different perspectives. So the first one is um, being on the seller side. How do you go about selling? And then the second piece is from the buyer side. So I have bought out two other rental companies before, and so I can certainly talk to you about that. I also have friends who have sold their rental companies, and um, I can tell you from a seller's or from a buyer's perspective, kind of what made my decision into buying those companies. Now I had a rental business before I bought those companies, so it was a little bit different than if someone were to come in and buy your company that doesn't yet have a company. But either way, we're going to talk about both. So the first thing I want to mention with selling your company is how do you create some value pieces to sell your company? So it's not just about the product. It's not just about the clients, not just about certain aspects of the company that you think are worth selling, but there's a lot more that go into it. What do I mean by that? Um, SOPs, those are a piece of value. Having clientele lists, that's a piece of value. Having really good quality inventory, that's a piece of value. So what are some value pieces that you can add to your company to make it more attractive and set that next company up, whoever buys your company, for success? Um, when we were buying a rental company, I bought out a rental company in 2017, and then I bought out another one in 2018, um, about a year apart from each other. So the first one, um, when I went to consider a conversation with them, she was a company that I had been friends with. I'd followed her for a long time and she was selling her inventory about once a year, closer to the end of the year. So in August of 2017, I reached out and said, Hey, just checking in. I know that you're getting ready to maybe sell some product. I'd love to consider buying a few pieces as we have some overlap and I'm, in, I'm looking to increase my quantities. So let me know when you're ready to sell. I'd love to consider buying a couple pieces from you. And she replied something along the lines of, hey, well, I'm actually considering selling the whole company. You want to have a conversation? I was like, sure, let's open up a conversation. So we talked for about a month or two or so and um, kind of considered what does that look like? What are you interested in? What am I interested in? And we came to a place where we looked at the um, value that she had in her business and what it could add to my business. And so some of the pieces that they were selling was not only the inventory, but it was also some trucking. It was also a client list of the people that they work with. It was also their intellectual property. So their website, their SEO, um, certain things that they do web wise. Um, and so those were things that were attractive to us. We were like, oh, you have all this product, but you also have this awesome client list 
as well of people who have referred you guys over and over. And now they're going to continue to be able to rent that product, um, but also know that they're going to be taken care of as well. And so those were some pieces that really stuck out to us is that you had some value items in addition to just the plain and dry um, inventory that comes with a rental company already. So I consider those things. Um, other value pieces that I'd consider adding if I were to sell my rental company is SOPs make a big difference. So an SOP is a standard operating procedure. It's the step-by-step way that you do what you do. Um, having that is going to set up someone with lots of success, especially if they don't have an existing rental company already. They're going to already have the game plan of how you do what you do. Um, it's also important to have at least some sort of idea of how they do what they do. Even if you have a company and you're not planning on taking on their practices, but to understand maybe the uh, communication that has happened before you even got involved in, in keeping that consistent uh, through their event. Um, it's also important to look at the details and the logistics for any upcoming events that you have already booked prior to selling the company. What that looks like as far as the money, what it looks like as far as logistics, who's going to deliver, um, who's going to keep the client communication, is that all going to turn over to you? Um, there's a lot of details that need to be sorted out when we talk about our clients and who's already booked because it's likely that you're going to have some bookings um, that have taken place before you sell it that are still future events. And so um, look at all of that. As far as the inventory, how to price that for selling your company, I would recommend putting together a spreadsheet. And on the spreadsheet, you're going to have the item name, how many you have, what you originally purchased that price for, any additions or repairs that have been made to that item, and then what you believe the fair market value of that piece is. So for example, if I bought um, our Kendall sofa, for example, it's a blue velvet tufted sofa. It's beautiful. I have four of them. I would put Kendall sofa, quantity four. I bought them for $700 a piece. I've done some minor cleaning to it, which has probably cost me about $500 total over the four years that I've owned that product. And then the price that I would say is a fair price for those sofas, it's probably about $500 per sofa. And so you're going to times that by the four, and then that comes up with your value for those four pieces. And you're going to total that at the bottom. And so that's going to give you a good jump start into your selling price. But then adding in those value pieces and understanding how um, those are valued money-wise is really good as well to consider. Um, so that's what I would do is start setting up those practices now before you get to 2025. I mean, that's only four and a half, five years away from now. And so if you're wanting to sell by then, those years are going to go real quick. And so if you can start putting together those SOPs now, if you don't already have them, if you can start putting together that spreadsheet so that you can, you can track that, um, and then really starting to keep good books now with your finances. If you don't have a bookkeeper or an accountant, you might consider having someone at least set you up so that you can automate it. But keeping good books before you sell, especially if that's in your five-year plan is to sell your company, is really important. Um, when I went to buy these businesses, I wanted to look at, hey, what has the last year, two years, three years, five years, 
looked like you financially so that I knew the value that they were placing on their company was valid and it had some longevity to it. Now, we just came out of a really hard year of 2020 of not having the finances and the income that we typically would have had. And so that's going to be, of course, part of the consideration from your buyer. And if they're not in the industry, you might have to educate them on why 2020 books may have looked quite different than 2021, 2022, 2023. But um, start keeping those good books on your finances now if you're not already. Keep them real tight. Um, do them often and understand what your profit and loss looks like, your P&L reports, your balance sheets, things like that. Are, they're going to want to know. And they're going to want to see that for as many years as you have them. And the longer, the better. Um, okay, so that's telling a rental company. The next question we have is how do you keep your rentals in top shape? It seems like a lot of work. That is absolutely correct. It is a lot of work to keep them in top shape, but it's super important to keep them in top shape so that they can be renting over and over and over again. So how we keep ours in top shape, a quick answer to that is that we have a three process or a three-step check-in process for each of our inventory items. So when an inventory item goes out and comes back in after an event, we have three points that people look at the inventory before putting it back on the shelf. The first one is from the driver. They're going to look at the piece when they pick it up to see if there's any damage, anything that needs to be fixed right away. And they might already consider doing that when they come back to the studio. The second step is that my warehouse manager is going to look at it in broad daylight. You know, things actually look different in daylight than they do at night because most things are picked up in the middle of the night you might not be able to see certain things that you can see during the day. And so my warehouse manager is going to go see anything that has happened and look at that in broad daylight. And then the third is to get one more perspective, hopefully from um, someone who doesn't work in the warehouse as often and they have a new perspective on um, that piece. So I don't look at the inventory every single day like John on my team does. And so I might go out there and be the third check and I might see something that he didn't because he's seen that piece over and over and over again. So that's the three-step process that's super easy to talk about as far as keeping items in top shape. But in addition to that, just keeping um, good practices as far as keeping things covered, um, keeping things clean, that's important as well. Um, so that if a piece doesn't go out for a few weeks, it's not collecting dust bunnies. So consider those things. All right, the next question we have is, if you could choose a few pivotal points that created your growth jump um, in your business, what would it be? So I have three points, three different things that have resulted in pretty big growth for the company, going from um, a very small income to a very large income, going from a very small number of events to a very large number of events. The first one is the people on my team. The hires that I've made, the people that are running the events, that's a big difference for us. Having someone that who is very relational, um, very client-related, community-oriented, um, someone who aligns with their core values, someone who's going to treat our customers super well, that's been a huge game-changer for us is having some dedicated people in growing the business. The second piece is increasing our inventory investment. 
So when you start, you typically start smaller. And so as you grow your inventory and you make bigger investments into the right inventory, then that's going to be a big area of growth for you because it's what you do. You own a rental company. And so having more inventory and good inventory is really essential to growing. And then the third way that we've seen a huge jump in growth is through our marketing and advertising. We really only in um, years prior to 2017 did just um, social media marketing. We didn't really make a lot of connections. We really just did social media. And so we made a pivot and we said, you know what? We're going to be a little bit more relational with our community and really be community oriented versus just putting something out on social media, just put something out on social media. So we got involved in networking events such as NACE and MPI and ILEA. We started doing more coffee dates with our clients and our referral partners and our raving fans. Um, We started being more intentional in our DMs with people on social media, not just posting, but also posting and following up with people as well. Responding to all the comments and responding to all the DMs has been really important to really see the growth. And so those are the three ways that we've really seen massive growth is the people on our team, the inventory investment, and the marketing turning towards more community-oriented. So that's what has pivoted our growth. The last question we're going to talk about is when do you ask people what their budget is? This is a great question, and to be honest, it's avoided most of the time. I've seen more of our clients and our students avoid this question more often than not, and it's valid. Talking about money can be tough and sticky, and um, there might be some hesitations with money when it comes to their events, but asking what their budget is up front versus letting them say it or waiting till the end is really important to give them a good perspective of where they're at. Now we have the very first moment that we talk about budget is on our contact form. Before they even reach out, we ask them what their budget is. And they might just put a number or they might put something that is overall business or, or overall event related or maybe they're putting something that is specific to your rental company. But regardless, you do need to ask them what their budget is as soon as possible. And you're going to get a couple of different types of responses on this. The first response is going to be, well, I don't know. I'm not sure yet. And that might work, but you might need to encourage them to actually answer the question. And then the second one will actually be a number in that's super helpful. You just might want to clarify, is that your total event number that you want to spend? Or is that what you want to spend on your rentals? If you get the pushback of, well, I don't really know what I want to spend, which is an often pushback, I would consider um, uh, telling you to ask them, hey, um, I'm going to throw out a couple numbers if you don't mind just letting me know what you align best with and what's most comfortable for you. I just want to be sure that when I send over this quote that it's not going to be overwhelming pricing-wise. So are you feeling more comfortable with something that's $5,000, $2,500, or $500? What feels more comfortable to you when I send over a quote. And that is going to get them telling you a little bit more and hopefully answering that question. But I would recommend having that budget question as soon as possible and then clarifying that budget as you get closer to booking that product Um, because it might have changed after they saw certain things. It might have changed um, if you guys have been talking for a few months. And so, um, yes, ask people their budget and try to be as specific as possible on that budget. All right, that wraps up 
our episode all about advice that you guys have asked us in our DMs. If you're not yet following us on Instagram, please go follow us. Um, We post a lot of great content on there and give you previews of these episodes. So go to Instagram and go to at therender.co. If you have questions, if you want to get involved in the podcast, please send us a DM and we would love to engage with you on there and answer your questions here in this podcast. This podcast is for you. It's for you to listen to absolutely free of charge. Um, You do not have to pay a cent for this content and we try to make this content really relatable um, and really tangible, ready for you to listen to and make some actionable steps towards. Um, if you have not yet left a review on our podcast on Apple Podcasts, please go leave a review. We would love to hear what you're loving, what you um, want to hear more of, and what other people could hear in this podcast. People like to leave reviews and read reviews. So I'm going to ask if you love this podcast, please go to Apple Podcasts and go leave a review. If you listen on Spotify, unfortunately, you cannot leave a review. So you do have to go to Apple Podcasts. Um, Thanks for listening to this episode. We are excited for next week and we'll see you soon. Have a great week, guys.